Alma 28, it tells us of the largest battle between the Lamanites and Nephites up to this point. Tens of thousands on both sides were massacred, and it said that thousands of bodies lay in moldering heaps upon the earth. And throughout the land, you can hear the weeping of the widows and of the fathers and of the siblings and of the children for their lost family, for their lost friends. And this is a profoundly disturbing couple of verses if you really visualize how brutal this battle was. But it's interesting, it then describes two different groups of people who were mourning. And it didn't say there was people who weren't mourning and that there were some who were mourning. Everyone was mourning. But it says that in verse 11, that many thousands are mourning for the loss of their kindred because they have reason to fear according to the promises of the Lord that they are consigned to a state of endless woe. That's pretty brutal. They, because of the promises of the Lord, know that many of the people who have died did not live according to the covenants that they should have kept with God and that it's going to be somewhat stressful for them in the next life. But this is contrasted with verse 12, where it says, While many thousands of others truly mourn for the loss of their kindred, yet they rejoice and exult in the hope, and even know, according to the promise of the Lord, that they are raised to dwell at the right hand of God in a state of never-ending happiness. That is very different experiences for two groups of people who experience the same physical experience, this battle and loss of family, but they are feeling very different about it and both are tied to the promises of the Lord and their hope in that experience. In Moroni 10 verses 22, he summarizes what the first group feels. He says, if ye have no hope, ye must be in despair, and despair cometh because of iniquity. When we sin, it leads to despair, which leads to having no hope, because we have broken a covenant relationship with God, and thus we do not have that covenant relationship intact anymore. We broke that promise. The word despair means to lose all hope or confidence, an utter loss of hope. We despair when we realize that we no longer have that anchor for our souls. And this is actually a major part of why the Nephites were destroyed. Mormon says in Moroni 5 verses 18 about the Nephites, But now behold, they are led about by Satan, even as chaff is driven before the wind, or as a vessel is tossed about upon the waves, without sail or anchor, or without anything wherewith to steer her, and even as she is, so are they. The Nephites break their covenants with the Lord, and now they don't have any anchor. They are lost and alone out in the storm. And that's one of the main goals that Satan has for us is that he uses lying, deceit, and confusion to undermine that relationship with God and to break that trust. An example of this is taking the Lord's name in vain. We often think that it's me using God's name willy-nilly when that may be a part of it, but the real way we take the Lord's name in vain is if we speak for the Lord and say he's going to do these certain things when he has never said those things. He's never made those promises. And we use his name to make ourselves look better or to bolster our own aims. When in fact, what we're doing is we are undermining God's relationship with his children, not because he's done anything wrong, but we are convincing others that he has said something he has never said. And so they put their trust and faith in that, hoping that we will have hope. And then suddenly those promises, quote unquote promises, never reveal themselves, never happen, and then we have people who lose faith and lose hope and have this confusion about God and who he is because I thought he said he was going to do this thing and he never did it. So what do we do? What is to be done if we are covenant breakers? How can we have hope? Because we all sin. We all break covenant. 
the beautiful thing is that God has provided a way to repair that covenant through our Savior Jesus Christ and the atonement. And because of this, we can stay in that relationship with God or renew that covenant relationship with God. When Christ comes down to the waters, John the Baptist says, there is the Lamb of God. The sacrifice we've been looking for our whole lives, our whole entire history as a Jewish people. And the symbol of that becomes all the more meaningful when we look at the Old Testament. When people wanted to renew their covenants or to become clean, they would go to the temple and they would lay their hands upon the head of a lamb and they would say their sins and then the lamb's throat would be slit and the blood would pour out. That is so intense. But it's such a beautiful visual of I have sinned, but there is a lamb that has died to take away those sins so that we can try again. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Victor Knowles talks about how the word promise is used in the sense of God's design to visit his people redemptively in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, the word promise, most of the times when it's used, is connected directly with the idea that Jesus Christ is visiting us to redeem us. This is the greatest promise in all of the scriptures. None of the other promises in the scriptures mean anything if we don't have this. It's that Christ will pay for and experience all the pain and the sin of this world for our sakes. This gives us the ultimate hope that every last soul has an opportunity for redemption and healing, no matter what we've done or have had done to us. President Brigham Young said, The moment the atonement of the Savior is done away, that moment, at one sweep, the hopes of salvation entertained by the Christian world are destroyed. The foundation of their faith is taken away, and there is nothing left for them to stand upon. And this knowledge of the Savior and his atonement can carry us through anything. There's this beautiful letter from Mormon to Moroni in Moroni chapter 9, where Mormon has just explained all these awful things that have happened that the Nephites are doing to Lamanites, the Lamanites are doing to the Nephites, so the Nephites are doing to the Nephites. There is murders, rapes, pillaging, and abominations. It's terrible, and it's fairly graphic in its description. But then Mormon says this to Moroni. He says, My son, be faithful in Christ, and may not the things which I have written grieve thee, to weigh thee down unto death, but may Christ lift thee up, and may his sufferings and death and the showings of his body unto our fathers, and his mercy and long-suffering and the hope of his glory and of eternal life rest in your minds forever. What he's saying is no matter what is happening, don't let it weigh you down unto death, but trust in Christ to lift you up and that the hope of his glory and of eternal life rest in our hearts and our minds. And though he is talking to Moroni, this applies to all of us. And that is why it is in the scriptures is that I know that Christ died for us, that he experienced our pains, our suffering, the guilt of our sins, even though he did not deserve that guilt, he did not deserve those pains. He experienced and felt them so that he could heal us and help us to renew covenants that were broken, that we can have hope again. The book of Enos is one of my favorite books. It's one chapter and it shares the story of Enos who is praying for a day and a night for redemption from his sins to rebuild this covenant relationship. And he pours out his soul and the voice of the Lord comes to him and says, your sins are forgiven. And Enos says this most profound line, God could not lie, so my guilt was swept away. 
we sometimes don't believe God when he says we are clean. We keep feeling guilty. We keep beating ourselves up, even though God has said it is done. You're clean. The atonement of Jesus Christ has covered it, and you are on your way to becoming more like me. If we don't have proper faith and understanding who God is, and that when he speaks, it is truth, we will lead ourselves to continually to feel guilty for things that Christ died so that we didn't have to feel guilty anymore. This does not mean that we forget and just pretend it never happened, but Christ's goal is that we can get up, continue on, and can become more like him, that we have the hope that it's worth trying again. J.R.R. Tolkien said, Not all that have fallen are vanquished. When we have fallen, it does not mean it's the end. We can get up and try again, but it is important to remember that God doesn't just automatically forgive everything either. We need to have confirmation that we are clean to feel true hope, and that is through feeling the Spirit, and that we've gone through the repentance process as laid out in the Scriptures and by God's chosen representatives who have authority. In Doctrine and Covenants 58 verse 42, Behold, he who has repented of his sins, the same is forgiven, and I, the Lord, remember them no more. I'll just end on this last story. Me and my companion were teaching a young man in Fredericton, New Brunswick. And this young man was very thoughtful and aware and asked very profound questions. And as we were teaching him about baptism in the sacrament, he asked, why would I make a covenant that I know I will break because I'm imperfect? And I didn't know an answer to it, but luckily the Spirit took over and we read the sacrament prayer and one line stood out, that they are willing. God does not expect us to be perfect, but that we are willingly doing our best. There are certain things that we need to try and be doing, but that God knows and has provided the sacrament, which we take every single week because we know that we are so imperfect and that we will make mistakes weekly, if not daily, if not every hour, that we have an opportunity to renew that broken covenant, to renew hope. I know that God provided a son, Jesus Christ, who died and atoned for us. That is a reality. And we can have hope in that as we understand who God is, what his motivations are for us, and that we can become clean, that we no longer have to feel guilt when we make mistakes that we have then repented of. My favorite hymn for its lyrics is Reverently and Meekly Now. And then the fourth verse, it is from the perspective of the Savior where he says, At the throne I intercede, for thee ever do I plead. I have loved thee as a friend with a love that cannot end. Be obedient, I implore, prayerful, watchful evermore, and be constant unto me that thy Savior I may be. Thank you.